0: This is Let's Talk Synesthesia, the podcast where I, Maike, psychologist and synesthesia artist meet scientists and synesthetes from around the world to explore the fascinating world of synesthesia. So come along and let's meet today's guest. Okay, welcome back to the second episode of the second season. I have a very, very special guest with me. We're going to meet her in a second. Yeah, today's episode will be about what my guest does professionally. And we will talk about their synesthesia. And we will also talk about a couple weird, like, product ideas to how non synesthetes could experience the way we or other synesthetes experience the world. So yeah, welcome with me, Caitlin Hova. Hi, Caitlin. How are you doing today?
1: Hello. Oh, it is a lovely morning. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.
0: So nice to have you on. So I have a couple laid back questions for you to dive into the episode. And the first one would be, who are you?
1: Oh, I didn't think we were going that deep, but yeah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, I guess, uh, so I am a co-founder of Hova Labs, a software engineer, a background in neuroscience, I play violin, I compose, uh, I do like giving a lot of uh, like TEDMED talks, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm all over the place, but really, I'm just really curious about a lot of things which take me down a lot of different paths.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So you're a neuroscientist, but you're also a software engineer. You're also an executive director. You're a mom and a synesthete and a professional violin player. Wow.
1: Yeah, I got to get better at selling myself for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the second question would be, where are you from and where are you recording from?
1: Yeah. I am from the Midwest in the United States, but these days I live really close to like Berkeley in California. I'm recording from my office on a couch with a little stuffed animal next to me for support.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it is like eight in the morning for you, whereas here in the UK, it's 4 p.m.
1: That's wild. Yeah.
0: And the last question would be, what forms of synesthesia do you have? And when did you find out you had synesthesia?
1: So I have a ton of different types. Uh, I feel like as I've gotten more introspective, I've discovered more and more. But the ones that I do know for sure is like sound to color, people to color, numbers and letters to colors, motion to sound, like all these different types. And I didn't realize it was like there was a word for it until I was in college, because I do remember discussing it briefly in like kindergarten. And I drew my parents in the colors that I I saw for them, which were my mom's uh, light blue and light pink. And my dad was red and black. And I remember another kid being like, that's not people color. So I was like, I took a mental note. And I was like, I will never discuss this in public again.
0: (laughs) Wait, did you use the color for their skin color or more like an aura thing?
1: Yeah, it was like both. (laughs) Because I was just like, obviously, this is my parents. Look at them. But... It was in my final course in college for music theory, where my professor just kind of mentioned like offhand, like, hey, uh, fun fact, (laughs) did you know that people can see sounds as colors like some people? And I was like, yeah, what are you doing? Because I I literally used those colors for that entire class made so much sense because I was such a bad study buddy, because I'd be like, okay, yeah, it's this interval because I would see the colors of the notes. And I would draw on a a piece of paper, a piano, and then I would just do the math in between the notes. (laughs) And I'd be like, that's the the interval. I got it. Bam. So yeah, it it was just a a real moment for me where I was like, wow, there's a lot more out there, especially like in consciousness than I thought, because I've been just existing in this world for so long without really like examining it. So I I quit my music degree at that point and I just went full on into neuroscience to see what was going on.
0: Oh, really? Based on that interaction and really? So that class just changed your path completely?
1: Yeah, yeah. That guy just mentioning like, oh, off the, you know, just, did you know this? Just like completely changed my life. So you just never know the things that you say and how they'll affect people. And I'm just so grateful because... It's something that I, like, you know, I I really got into.
0: And that was after being a professional violinist. I can't say it. Yeah. Violinist for, what was it, like eight years already? I think you started at 13.
1: Yeah, yeah, I started performing uh, and doing cool, like, big stadium shows around 13. And yeah, yeah, I just kept going.
0: And when you found out about your synesthesia, you probably did what we all do when we have this moment of, holy shit, that yeah. is not what everybody sees. You were probably looking back at these years of of performing and learning instruments. Yeah. And did you notice anything?
1: Yes, yeah school started to make a lot more sense to me because uh, my teachers always thought that I was like behind, right? But I really had like these different ways of thinking of things. And I remember once I figured out about synesthesia, I got like really introspective about like, well, how do I learn? Because I definitely learned differently than other people. So uh, did you ever have like vocabulary tests in like middle school where they'd be like match the word to the definition? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So uh, I just could never focus. (laughs) But what I would do like last minute, like right before the test uh, and still do well, is I would go through the list and be like, okay, red word means this, blue word means this, green word means this. Like, and then I would just memorize it that way. And I never vocalize that to anyone else because, you know, you're in panic mode, right? It's like the test is like in 20 minutes. (laughs) But yeah, just getting really into like, how do you remember things? How do you recognize patterns? And it just completely changed how I approached learning in general, because you could kind of figure out your patterns. And I remember... A part of my neuroscience studies was you have to understand the difference between different types of neurons. And I had a moment where our professor, this poor genetics professor, got assigned to do neurobiology. Oh, oh, he hated it. But he had a slide where he put up on the screen just of all these different types of neurons. And he was like, all right, which one is this type? And then no one raised their hands, but I knew because it was the one that looks like a yellow shape. (laughs) And then he looked at, and then he was like, everyone got that. And everyone else was like, no, I absolutely do not get it. (laughs) Um, What
0: is the shape of yellow?
1: Yeah. It was like a a neuron that has more of like a fanned out shape on top. It was like literally like the same picture from the book.
0: (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was just really funny. Did I understand that correctly? Every color has a geometric shape.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that one did for some reason, just because I was staring mm. at it for so long.
0: So was it the name of the neuron was yellow because of your graphene color synesthesia? And then you looked at the shape of the neuron for so long that <laughs> the color of the name became the color of the shape.
1: Yeah, possibly. Honestly, it was such a mess. <laughs> I don't know how I <laughs> got through it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean... It, oh God, my brain is just the same mess. And I really struggle explaining that.
1: Oh, no, it, it's really interesting because it's like, yeah, maybe it, it was that, but it happens so quick sometimes. And just trying to figure out the origin is just fascinating. And it, it really feels like, have you seen like The Matrix? No. Oh, you got to see it. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's totally fine. It's, uh, it just felt like... Uh, like taking the the right or wrong pill, de- depending on how you look at it,
0: mm. and then like
1: reality completely differently. Ah, cool.
0: Yeah, I had a similar experience actually. I uh, I have one design about. A panic attack I had or an anxiety attack where the emotion to color experience was like very, very green and it was coming towards me. But at the same time, since I have ticker tape synesthesia and graphene color synesthesia, I saw the word hyperventilating written out in my mind's eye. Like I see every word I'm saying Mm. or someone else's. And due to the graphene color synesthesia, the words that are written out in my mind are always colorful.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, or just mess.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just a beautiful mess.
0: <laughs> it is. I think that the emotion of like panicking was green because I was seeing a green word and was kind of yeah, like losing it in that. I don't know. Well, I, I also figured out another weird thing where
1: it's like, have you ever had a person who you're like, I you, I just am never able to remember your name ever, like that uh-huh. kind of thing. That I found out that happens to me when their name is one color and like the color for them as a person are like completely different. And I just cannot put it together.
0: Or like two, like the red line has just not, like has not a red name. Well, can we just not do that? (laughs) Yep. So I'm interested to hear a bit more about your passion to color synesthesia, because I think we haven't had a person experiencing that before on a podcast. So it started very early in kindergarten, which is cool. Do you have a color for every person?
1: Yeah, like it, it depends. I think they're more vivid if I know them better. So like, for example, uh, on my team at work. Yeah, I I, I got colors for everybody. And sometimes uh, what I like to do like during college was I would walk around campus like the very beginning of the school year and I would just see different color combos for people that I just had never seen before. But they're definitely more vivid if I know you better.
0: Yeah, I have it very rarely more for like TV show characters because mm-hmm. I feel like those you also get to know very well, but you don't interact. It's a very one way relationship yeah for some reason that's easier for me to develop a clear color for someone
1: yeah yeah I've read there's like uh, some research around it's like having to do like the person themselves is not like a purple or red or whatever person it's like their body language that you're reading Um,
0: really yeah
1: yeah I mean it could be anything right consciousness is so bananas
0: no, but that's interesting. I thought it's like personality traits because that would have been the next question. If you've noticed any because there aren't like well, there are endless colors, but maybe you see similarities in like blue people and red people and yellow people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh yeah, I definitely like I think like blue tends to be like more like they're really smart, very like intellectual. Red has been, like, they're very emotional, like, loving. Yellow tends to be, like, a, a generic, like, background color, if that makes any sense. Like, if they're anything, they'll have some yellow. Um, mm. Just, like, random, random things like that.
0: Someone sent me a voice message on Instagram a couple months ago, and she always saw yellow for narcissists. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that's amazing. Like that's just so interesting on someone. Yeah. Do yeah, you see I, it at the very beginning already? Can you avoid um Like how good of a psychotherapist would you be? <laughs> I
1: don't even know if I'd be good, but I I have noticed like little patterns like that where it's like if someone is pink and yellow that combo we have nothing in common we will not jive (laughs) like i don't know what it is yeah
0: that's so interesting
1: yeah yeah it it doesn't make any sense i tried to be like okay cool good that we're seeing this but we're gonna try okay we're gonna try and does it ever change
0: or is it like is it so reliable
1: well it's usually super reliable but um what i i I noticed what i do is like the way that the colors like oscillate have to do with like how they're feeling. So if someone's like super down one day, I'll notice it that way. I'd be like, hey, it's not something's off. <laughs> and I've only seen people's colors change rarely when they go through a very like severe mental event. Like I remember I used to know someone where we were really close and then they went through this like really, really dark time and their colors changed from like reds and blues to black and green. And I was like, oh no, something has happened.
0: Okay. That's actually not what I meant, but that's just highly fascinating. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's so odd.
0: <laughs> I, I meant the, like yellow and pink people. The people you don't have anything in common with. If you suddenly find out you have the same hobby, or I don't know, something you do have things in common, all of a sudden, would that change the yellow and pink?
1: I don't know. I don't think so. Not in my my history. It's been pretty consistent, oddly enough.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And when you studied neuroscience, did you uh, do research on synesthesia?
1: Oh, I so desperately wanted to. So I I was applying to different programs, uh, and you know, oddly enough, not a lot of uh opportunities out there to research this thing because people don't yeah. understand it, I think, as well as they should. Because a lot of people, when they think of synesthesia, they just think it's like psychedelic, and it's just people are like out there. But I was so excited about it from the idea of like neuroplasticity and. Like, why do they have these extra connections or retain connectivity? So cool. So what I ended up doing instead (laughs) was uh, I dropped out of my job and took a big course so I can build a social media network or whatever for synesthetes. Uh, At the time, it was called the Synesthesia Network. And the goal was to be able to aggregate as many synesthetes as possible to not only like network with each other, but then to help researchers find them because when you're doing synesthesia research it's got to be so specific with the types of synesthesia Uh, because someone that has like a more gustatory type would have way different or like in some ways scans than someone that's more auditory Um, and you just got to be as specific as possible and as you know uh, when you have one type of synesthesia you're pretty likely to have more than one type so, oh, I just wanted to make a thing that would make this process easier.
0: That's amazing. Is the synesthesia network still going?
1: <laughs> no, I'm rebuilding it right now. The uh, the database that it was on got sunset by Heroku. I was so sad because now I got to go do something about it.
0: Mm. And what's the vision?
1: So the vision is I really want to have uh, not only like the way that it was, which is just like aggregate where you can just find people and meet people but also so um, my partner works for discord so I was thinking like let's make a discord server too so that that way they can like actually interact Mm
0: -hmm. okay I'm looking forward to that that's amazing another question I have so you studied so you went from being a professional violinist to being a neuroscientist but then you became a software engineer yeah how did that happen? And was that when the Hovelin was born? Or was the Byland project later?
1: Yeah, I guess it is kind of a winding road. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I actually got into software really early, like at 13, because I realized... What? Yeah, yeah, because I realized that no one was going to pay a 13-year-old to play their wedding unless they have a website, and it looks really legit. <laughs> so... I I started building websites then uh but it was only like front end type things you know one pagers couple pagers yeah. um and but then you were
0: coding them because I also remember ma- I made also like a friend website which is so yeah. silly but I didn't like code it
1: Yeah yeah no I was I was coding cuz like I I remember I paid someone it was so expensive uh, especially for me at the time and it was just not flexible because like, I always wanted to update it and do things. And I was like, you know, I literally cannot afford <laughs> to have someone do my website. I gotta do it, I gotta do it. And I think uh, software engineering tends to be pretty gatekeepy where people think like, oh, you know, you can't do it, you have to have a degree or whatever. You don't, you really don't. I was 13, you can totally do it. Yeah. Um, even some of the stuff I do today, like I, you know, if you really sit down, look at like the millions of tutorials that are out there that weren't even available to me at that time, uh, you can totally do it. So I've just been using software more as a tool throughout my whole life, like professional life and less as like a a sector. Like I work in software engineering, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, started doing just like basic website things at 13 uh, and it was after I got my degree, in neuroscience, where I was like, I want to research synesthesia. And then I was like, wait a second, I want to build a whole thing. And now I got to understand databases. (laughs) That's when I I pivoted to to software, like full time. Because I was like, you know, I really, if I don't get to study synesthesia, which is what I really wanted to do, I don't know that I want to work in anything else. Because, you know, you you basically go where the grants are. Yeah. I realize I, I actually like software. It's just kind of like solving puzzles all day.
0: Wow, well, you're unstoppable!
1: <laughs> no, no,
0: I'm just I got time. <laughs> no, I think you also have like a lot of interests and and passions. And yeah. that's amazing. I think that's just a really good trait to have.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's fun to find things that you really enjoy. I, I did a talk a, a little bit ago where I ask people the question, what did you want to be when you grow up, when you were a kid? You know, do you know that answer?
0: I wanted to be a farmer.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: It's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a chubby bread-baking apron-wearing granny on a farm.
1: That is yeah. so sweet. Yeah, it's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, for me, I, I wanted to be a doctor or a movie special effects person. And the Ooh, reason... Uh, Yeah, because it's cool. You like blowing up stuff, right? So the thing about your childhood, like, what do I want to be when I grow up that I find fascinating is because I think that's like your most innocent desire for what you want to do, right? You have no idea what it's like being a farmer. I had no idea what it's like being a doctor. So look into, well, why did I want to be those things? And when I really thought about it, I wanted to help people and I wanted to solve creative problems. And I think as I've gone through my career, those are the things that drive me to these different events and and like places. And that's when I'm solving problems creatively and helping people, that's when I'm most happy. And I think that is one of the the keys to finding a happy work life because you actually find what really fulfills you, (laughs) not just like, cool, I get the money and then I go home and I buy the
0: food. I think it must have been the peace, yeah. because when I imagined what I thought being a farmer is, was a lot of, like, peace and silence.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in real life, a lot of animal sounds going on. Yeah, all. it definitely wasn't hard
0: work. <laughs> yeah, but that's sweet. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I have to think about it a bit more and maybe even use it in my work. Yeah. Cool. So then you started, like I, I listened to a podcast where you were guests and it was like from 2015 or so. And you wow. were talking about uh, 3D printing violence, which yeah. is a big part of your career and probably also where most synesthetes listening know you from. but. When I listened to the podcast, I was like, what the fuck? In 2015, we were already 3D printing. I was like, wasn't yeah. that from like a year ago? Gosh,
1: think about it. 2015, that was like the before, before times, right? Yeah. Wow. Because, like, yeah, everything started going crazy in 2016. So, okay, talk us through. So uh, the 3D printing violins uh, actually did come out of the the synesthesia. Explorations. So when I was in college, uh, I was like, hey, I don't think synesthesia is that crazy. We just have to find a way to actually display it in ways that make it make more sense. So right around the time I was doing the synesthesia network work, I was like, hey, what if we made lights correspond directly to the notes that I play? and I would write loop pedal songs so that way it breaks down the whole song by each line. So you don't just start with a wall of color, you show like hey there's the different different sections and that's how it all fits together and then you can show, and I think I have some videos where it's like you can even show the the correlation between the different sounds. So for me every sound has a shape, a color, and a position in space. So it looks like a really cool, like animated video picture of like mm-hmm. a painting. So that's where it came from. The The original synesthesia violin experience was actually my partner, Matt, would line up a bunch of LED pucks on the ground and then I would play and uh, he set up this situation or the setup where it would just basically be like a tuner and it would just... Register what the note was and then kick over lights to the pucks. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then we're like, that's really cool, but it's like really hard to transport. <laughs> and they were mm-hmm. not necessarily easy to use. I think the technology is probably better these days. So I was like, well, what if we brought the lights inside of the violin? That would be really dope, right? So and also
0: a lot closer to like your experience, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it would really like, bridge that understanding gap with people because it's like i don't want it to seem like it's that out there it's really not it's just another way of experiencing so we wanted to find like well what if we got like a clear violin that'd be really cool but we couldn't find one and even if we could i'm sure it was like way out of our price range so the the (laughs) next logical step was for us to 3d print a violin And i don't know how we came to that it just Oh, my gosh. So over the course of a year, we figured out exactly how not to make a violin. <laughs> um, like, it started out as a stick with strings. And it was really unfortunate because uh, we were doing a ton of stuff that was just math-based. And then eventually we got into more of like a CAD program. And infuriating that the the setup for the violin that made the most, most sense was one that looks exactly like how violins look like, and I was like, "Oh, that's why violins look this way." That ah, uh, I thought we were gonna like innovate. It's gonna be great. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we uh, made the the Hovelin, which is what we ended up calling it for the synesthesia project. But then we open sourced it, so now everyone, you know, you can go to our our website. I think it's a there's a quick link if you just go to hovelin.com. You can just download it and enjoy. Um, And that project kind of took on its own. Oh,
0: wait. People can download the thing they have to put in their own 3D printer. Yep. Oh, I thought you then went into like mass production and people can buy a more affordable violin from you.
1: Yeah, I mean, they can buy it from us. We do prefer that they print it because it's like, I don't have that much time (laughs) right now. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Um, yeah. And the cool idea behind it was, you know, music programs are systemically like underfunded, but these same schools are getting STEM grants, right? And yeah. with these like STEM classes, they're doing 3D printing. So why not use the STEM funds towards music programs? So just be like, hey, we're going to do a class. Where we're going to print a violin. And then when you're done with it, <laughs> guess what? the music class can use it
0: genius Um, yeah it's fun stuff like that and so much more accessible then for so many people because instruments are freaking expensive
1: yeah they are really expensive and yeah obviously this violin does not sound (laughs) like a, a wood violin would it's not as loud for sure but it's better than no violin you know especially when like music programs underfunded.
0: So when you play to Hovelin at events or at the like TED Med talks you gave were there people saying now I get it? Like did it? I mean the intention is to make other people experience roughly what we experience and did people like did it have this effect of okay now they get it a bit more?
1: Yes, that's actually my favorite part of all the talks is like when you get someone especially when they're older like someone in their 60s or 70s being like, "Oh my gosh, I have that." I Ooh, know. Also good. Yeah, cuz it's like I guess we don't really talk about consciousness a lot. <laughs> and yeah. uh introspection is definitely like a skill uh and a muscle too cuz you know, you're you're trying to parse out like how do you parse? <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, that, that, that's really special to me because I, I, I couldn't believe that like I went all the way to college before trying to even come close to understanding how I experienced the world. And I think it's just such a gift to give someone just the, the idea that like you can maybe have an even more beautiful vision of the world inside of your own mind than the world itself. Um, oh yes
0: yeah also love the messages but I realized I have another form or I realized I'm a synesthete and I had no idea before I was just listening because I was interested
1: yeah yeah I mean especially like if you can get a message or a description of synesthesia down to such a level where people are open to thinking about it you know because if you start like saying like I I see sounds, Ah, people are like, that person's crazy, we're not going to talk. But if you like break it down, like, look, this is all the different parts of the song, this is how they interact, like, what do you think? It just makes it a little bit more, a little easier to digest, I guess. Yeah,
0: and I think music is also a great one, because to some extent, we use synesthetic language with music a lot more than we do for other experiences like music can be dark or bright or heavy or light or all these like maybe not many people would say this is blue and this is red but other like temperature or brightness related terms um, are a good bridge to like understand the connection
1: yeah yeah or like the the kiki and boba experiment exactly That exactly. that'll always get them. Where they're just like, wait a second, why do I think that shape is named Kiki? Yeah, <laughs> like, like, okay, cool. That's where we'll, we will start today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's so good. And how satisfying and how close to your experience is the colorful violin? Well, the violin oh, is it, one,
1: but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Uh, we're working on uh, getting the colors to appear in the same way because it's not like a, a quick like bam green kind of a thing it, like it definitely yeah. Is, but yeah it's it's pretty close I I am really pleased with it uh we haven't had the opportunity to work on it in a while I definitely took a little hiatus from performing during COVID because mm-hmm. uh, I have two little tiny babies and I was like I cannot be around a lot of people right now Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you also said that music has not only a color but also a form and is located in space.
1: Yeah. And that's
0: not something the violin can provide. Yeah. Did you ever look into like animation to like even get even closer to your the experience you have in your mind's eye?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh I have a few videos where I I got uh either I did it or. I like there. I think there's one I did for the Discovery Channel. I I guess at the the time where I I met with this animation person, uh-huh. and I basically like was like, okay, here's the deal. We're gonna not leave this room, and you're gonna move the shapes everywhere. <laughs> so you're gonna move them. He was so patient. Like, I I hope I, I got him like a little like gift basket or something at the end. He deserved it. I think my favorite one is uh, one that I, I hand animated myself. It's me playing a rendition of Such Great Heights from the Postal Service. That is my favorite song for synesthesia experiences. It's Mm -hmm. so good. Have you heard it? Don't think so, but I'm gonna Uh, do after this. Uh listen to it with headphones and turn the lights off. You'll have a great time.
0: Can you say the title again?
1: Yeah, uh Such Great Heights by the Postal Service.
0: Okay, I'll definitely look it up. Yeah,
1: it's lovely.
0: That's so cool. So like I was asking because I always feel like animation just is a lot closer to my experience than like the digital collages I do. And it's satisfying and I love it. But I think about a lot, especially when speaking to other synesthetes, is how can we actually make it as realistic as possible?
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, you're doing an amazing job with the violin. It made it so uh, easy to understand what it can look like and like the the TED talks we can find on on YouTube it I think that's just such a valuable what is it I don't know I, I I'm lacking words but that's
1: okay thank you so much uh, it means a lot we uh put a lot of work into it kind of yeah mad. yeah it, it was oh, it's a lot <laughs>
0: well I should I should probably say I can't imagine because <laughs> it took you years. It's such a pleasing result, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it's really fun. I I don't know what we're going to get into next, but we'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so I wanted to ask you if you're down to brainstorm a couple products like yours, but for other forms of synesthesia. <laughs> I had a lot of fun coming up with these. I don't think they're all like realistic, but I think it could inspire us to think in different ways. So do you want to hear my first product idea?
1: Absolutely. Let's do this.
0: All right. Lexical to gustatory synesthesia. Mm -hmm. So I have, I think it's called a retainer when you have (laughs) braces and then you have the thing behind your teeth. Okay. Do you know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah. I, yeah, long time braces. Okay.
0: (laughs) Perfect. So I thought, what if we have a tiny thing that goes on the retainer that reacts to uh, sounds and words and it can uh, give you 10 different tastes but also combinations of these 10 different tastes and it just goes like under your tongue mm. and then you uh, maybe you have to go watch a specific movie where the words with these flavors are in mm-hmm. so you go to the movies you have that in your mouth And then you hear them talk about Stephen, who goes to a spaceship, and he's eating broccoli (laughs) and has a dog with him. And all these different words give a different taste, and you just have the movie experience with the taste actually coming into your mouth, like it does, for example, for James Warnerton.
1: Yeah. I think uh, one of the most appealing keys to this is that it's only limited to 10, hopefully appealing tastes. (laughs) Because I I love reading like uh, all of uh, James's work where (laughs) like there's different like stops on the the UK like subway or whatever where they just like taste awful. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I I can't even imagine that. But yeah, I mean, I guess that would do it.
0: How realistic do you think it is?
1: Oh gosh, I don't even know. Yeah, I wonder, because I remember I've talked to a few people with this type of synesthesia and I remember one person had a really interesting introspection about like like why does she taste different things Mm -hmm. like she was skiing right you know how skis make like little tracks Mm -hmm.
0: and
1: And she was looking at a a, a cross section where they had crossed each other and she Uh took like butterscotch cookies (laughs) and she's like wait a second that shape is what's on top of butterscotch cookies (laughs) like right yeah, so it's like I wonder if there could be even like cool things with that.
0: Ooh, uh, that is cool. I yeah, to you know, come from somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But so I like, think
0: ninety percent of them will always just be hidden. Random.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. yeah, that's really cool. Like, especially if like like what would be a good movie? Maybe like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That'd be a really like vivid one.
0: Mm. Hmm.
1: That's a good one.
0: Yeah. Okay, I have another idea. do you experience any mirror pain or mirror touch forms
1: Uh, only like very lately I know people where it's like so severe and I don't think I got that
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I also don't but I thought if we would have a product which is it's again happening at the movies
1: (laughs) Okay, okay
0: a person would buy a ticket and also get like a full body suit That is synchronized with the movie, and then there would be some violence in the movie, and the person through that bodysuit would feel (laughs) like a sting in their chest when someone's shot, or feel pain like not not pain pain but pressure in their leg when someone I don't know is run over by a car. Yeah, has an injured leg. Wouldn't that be Amazing! That's that was so-
1: hilarious, especially for like a movie like Saw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder how many like audiences it, it would go through before like someone would be like, "All right, maybe this is a bad idea." Maybe <laughs> fun,
0: but maybe like it could be a very mild start to yeah, yeah. one being massaged and you experience a massage on your body.
1: Yeah, yeah. If it was mild, like I think that'd be a good like introduction. To it, yeah. uh, a lot of the the mirror touch synesthetes I know, like they will, will not watch horror gore movies because they're like, I feel it, I hate it.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Like that, I think it's like it's very harmful. Even we spoke about that cool. on an episode with Aurora from France, and she, uh, yeah, she has mirror pain, and we spoke about how, yeah, how awful it is to to experience that in your own body and the the, the trauma it causes.
1: Yeah. Oh man, it's wild. Yeah, I I can only imagine for sure.
0: Okay, another one is contact lenses that give you a ticker tape experience.
1: (laughs) Ooh, okay.
0: I think that's the most unrealistic. Maybe. It should probably be glasses or something like that. But I just felt like it's too much out there with glasses because it's so much happening in my mind's eye and not really where my glasses are.
1: Yeah. And remember like Google tried to do in those Google glasses and they just did not take off the way that we thought it would.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's also what I thought about. Yeah. Yeah. So contact lenses it is. It's
1: gotta be contacts.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. My next suggestion is the sextant.
1: Okay, <laughs>
0: <laughs> That is a product for people to experience orgasm synesthesia or sexual to visual synesthesia or okay. whatever they want to call it. So it's a black tent, but on the like ceiling of the tent, you have this animated visual show going on and it has to be somewhat synchronized to your own arousal. So it can the animation has to also reach a climax, I guess, to make it realistic.
1: Yeah, I just wondered about the mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah,
0: it could be interesting. I wonder,
1: like, I remember there's even like similar type of setups for like events I've heard of in New York where they they have different colors or whatever with the foods that they serve. Like mm. trying to like bridge that. Cool yeah
0: so where would the color be Mm, like in the tent (laughs) (laughs) no I mean so in the restaurant
1: oh I don't know I never went it's one of those things where it's like I want to go someday just to know but I've heard of these events
0: yeah it sounds amazing yeah and I mean I know I'm not the first person to think about these but (laughs) I kind of saw like a movie Set where they film movies, maybe one that isn't used anymore, and you just get a ticket, and then you have these different rooms to experience different forms. Or you can go to the cinema. Maybe don't have sex there, but yeah, uh, yeah, the things. And I thought another room could be all about like grapheme color synesthesia, where just physically everything in that flat is grapheme color coded. So if there is a clock or like wall art. A, a wall tattoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. And it's all in the same graphic color of like one synesthete that provided their alphabet. And you yeah. just spend like an hour in there.
1: Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, especially like just to do like a, a show and tell of like around the senses, like different rooms.
0: Yeah, it would be so cool.
1: Yeah. Well, especially if it's like maybe a couple rooms, you just do not get it. But chances are one, might, you might get it.
0: Yeah, I think especially the mirror pain, you would just get. Like, it's also just scary to put that thing on. It reminds me of of men uh, um, trying these pain simulation.
1: Oh, for the PMS and stuff? So fun. Oh, I enjoyed that.
0: (laughs) So I think it's pretty, like, scary to try it out. But maybe the bodysuit could even have, like, a regulation thing. Like, you can dim it up and down. Yeah but I think that would be just the most realistic experience of a
1: mirror paint synesthete. Yeah, true. True. Oh, that'd be wild. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite uh mirror touch synesthetes is someone named Dr. Joel Salinas. He wrote a whole book about it like Yeah. Like there it's the the amount of situations that it affects is just mind-blowing. It is. Yeah.
0: It's so wild. And I think it's amazing when you're an adult and you have figured it out. But as a kid, I, I just, gosh, it, it makes me feel so uh, bad for a kid that just doesn't get how the world can be that yeah. violent.
1: Well, yeah. And like, I mean, especially remembering like my experiences and just seeing how like the world engages with like even my kids. Kids aren't taken that seriously, you know? So like when they're saying like, hey, I have this or I'm feeling this, it's not you know, people would be like, ah, that's crazy, huh, next. You know, I, I just mm-hmm. wish we would uh, engage more with that, that type of thought with children.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, so I think we should build this synesthesia house. Maybe it's a house. Yeah, why not? And then in one room, we um, have the violin, of course. Like, that's the auditory visual experience. Yeah. But maybe people can even taste it. Like, that would be a good addition, the retainer on top of the auditory
1: yeah 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 it'd be interesting if like every room you could keep layering you know what I mean where it's like okay cool do you want the one-to-one you know sound to color cool do you want the sound to color to taste (laughs) we're gonna just just keep going but
0: yes and the ticker tape lenses yes
1: and it's like obviously we can only like capture like one person's version of how they experience each, each of these different types of synesthesia. It'll be different for everybody, but it would just be so wild to send people on that trip.
0: And not only being overwhelmed in the moment and like fascinated, yeah. but you would also give them, which is just as important, the experience of going home and needing time to recover from the world.
1: Yes. Yeah, the overstimulation. Yes. You know? Where it's like, I, I can't really handle like being around a ton of people for super long periods of time. Uh, yeah. Have them understand like, no, it's not anything like super bad. I just need, you know, gotta take a little break for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Same. And it also, I that's a big thing for me. The overstimulation just creeps into my sleep. So that yeah. like, if I'm overstimulated, I will just have the most colorful trying to process the weight of the world dreams
1: yeah yeah and then
0: you don't wake up recovered and like it's a whole thing you really have to manage your synesthesia your mental health
1: yeah yeah and it's like the more in touch with yourself you can be the more you can manage that but that does not happen overnight it's yeah. a it's and it's even like a learning ongoing learning process it is
0: huh. yeah Okay, Caitlin, thank you so, so much for being on. It was, for me, a very inspirational (laughs) episode, and I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, likewise, anytime. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for taking the time. So now it's like 9 a.m. for you. (laughs) It's still so early. Oh, I've been up since
1: five. I got two little kids. It's fine. (laughs) It's wild. But they're so cute, and they
0: do need help with the potty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I wish you all the very, very best for all your projects in whatever professional field they're in. I'm very curious to see what you come up with next. Maybe you will be a fisherwoman. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Thank you so much. Have a lovely day, and thank you so, so much. You too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Let's Talk Synesthesia. There will be a new episode of Series 1 every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, you can like, follow and share. Details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes. The executive producer was Micah Pricing with music by Corin Anderson and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.